here we go into it. We're going to be joined first by our tenant organizers. So uh, Syria McNeil is being denied a lease to her family home after her mother's passing in February, and she is determined to rally support to stop this act of displacement in Clinton Hill. Located at 400 Clinton Avenue, the apartment has been in the McNeil family since 1966. And Shirley McNeil, the mother who unfortunately just passed, was a widow and single mom of five daughters since the passing of her husband. The family is still recognized by dozens of neighborhoods who recall Miss McNeil. And now, Syria wants to preserve her family's legacy in the neighborhood and move into her childhood home, but the management has other plans. The apartment is rent-stabilized, and the management likely wants to change that and bring it up to market rate. But we're going to hear from the actual people who are fighting this. We have Syria McNeil. Welcome. And we also have Dylan Henderson and maybe another comrade from BED, which is Brooklyn Eviction Defense, who are working on this campaign with Syria. Welcome, everybody to the show hi yeah thanks for thanks for having us on um Surya, Surya, are you there Surya? um okay well i can uh start to fill you in on just like kind of what's been going on so far while maybe uh uh yeah so you know what we'll do we'll start uh talking about the greater tenant organizing that's going on that was going to be our, our second questions we'll save the questions for syria to hope we can hear them from her if if she isn't able to get through it we'll, we'll ask you guys we know dylan is very very familiar with this case dylan's been working on it ever since bed brooklyn eviction defense brooklyn eviction defense is bed we'll be saying that a lot ever since bed got involved um with this campaign but for now just tell us a little bit about what the new york eviction crisis, what New York housing is looking like now after the eviction moratorium ended mid-January. Of course, we were still having some illegal evictions, you know, during the two years that it existed. But what's going on um, right now? What's eviction crisis looking like? Um, yeah, so I have uh, one of uh, our co-organizers, uh, Krill, on with us to um, talk a little bit about what like tenant organizing is looking like right now. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess the the short answer is that it's uh it's looking really bad since the moratorium expired in uh in earlier uh, of 2022. I mean, um, yeah, it, I mean the moratorium never stopped like evictions from happening in the first place. I mean, illegal evictions or people that kind of fell through the cracks and weren't aware of like how to uh, uh, apply uh be uh exempt from evictions through the moratorium. Like we're constantly getting evicted anyways. But obviously there was just like a massive like flood of uh, that has overwhelmed the courts um, since the passing of the moratorium. And that flood has resulted in things like people not being able to get representation and having to go to court with uh, and representing themselves because there are just simply not like lawyers available to take their cases, um, which obviously is something like that you don't expect to happen. Like you expect that like everyone will get free legal representation, but like that is actually just not the case. It's not actually being provided and you'll still be forced to like, you know, go and try to defend yourself um, against sometimes really ridiculous things. Um, right. I guess and that's it, a, a law that passed in 2019 uh, was a big, you know, big one for tenants. They pushed for that for a while, the right to counsel and exactly that's being denied all over the five boroughs right now because of the rate of evictions. Right. Now, There's simply not enough lawyers to go around and the judges won't defer the cases 
Right. Yeah, they're not slowing them down at all. It's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Like the right. <laughs> it, it, you really don't have a right to counsel. It's like as as only as long as the resources are there do you get that. Um, right. But, and talk a little bit about. So, you know, it's a pretty bad situation. We know about people getting kicked out of their houses. We know also within housing, there's attacks on NYCHA. There's been huge attacks on homeless people. You know, it, it really does feel like a crisis for some in the city. So tell us about how BED is responding, a little bit about what BED does at its base, and then how you've been responding recently, particularly in amassing these TAs, you know, around Brooklyn. That's great. Uh, yeah. So... Um, Krill, do you, do you want to maybe start with this and then, uh, we can see where that goes? Yeah, totally. Um, can everyone hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm Krill. Um, as Dylan was saying, I'm an organizer with bed. Um, and I guess, yeah, so Brooklyn eviction offense is, um, a group of tenants. So a tenant is any person who's not like fully in control of their housing. So someone who's like not a landlord, um, uh, and that's also most of the people in New York City, right? So BED is kind of focused on developing um, tenant power through building like localized TAs. So a tenant association is just like essentially an association of tenants within a building that um, are working collectively to uh, be more in control of their housing. So that means like responding to crisis situations. But also that just means like taking care of each other and making sure that... Uh, the needs of the people of yourself and the people of your building are being met. Um, and I guess beds, um, focus came from the crisis response to like all of the, um, illegal evictions and legal evictions that were happening during the pandemic. That's kind of when bed, um, started, I guess, formally. Um, and because we know in New York City, it's really hard to like kind of gain collective power with working class people because people are usually just honestly on the grind and like trying to survive. Um, I guess bed strategic yeah. focus has been um, understanding that everyone has housing and everyone has insecure housing, especially in New York City, especially in the previous segment you guys were talking about, like redistricting and like processes of gentrification that are happening all of those processes happen through people's housing right so if we can develop uh ways that people feel like they can gain collective power through getting control over their housing um that's kind of one step to further like resist uh processes of gentrification and like uh yeah oppressing the working class and that kind of stuff uh, krill can i can i just jump in um can you explain a little further Oh, uh, what a tenant association is? Does it have some sort of uh, legal uh, recognition when it's formed, and and how is it officially formed, and how how do how do you uh, help people uh, go through that process? Totally, totally. Thank you for that question. I guess that yeah, I totally did not define that. Um, so a tenants association, the tenants associations that we like bed forms and works with are autonomous tenants associations, which literally means. You are the only requirement of a tenants association is that you meet regularly. Um, and it's actually protected under New York state law. Um, like your landlord cannot like bar you from meeting as a tenants association. Like it's protected. Um, and it essentially just means that you're meeting regularly and you can kind of discuss whatever you want to discuss. Um, but it's just tenants being in conversation with each other. Um, and these autonomous tenants associations are ones that are not. Um, like funded by anyone outside of the building and they're not like connected to management in any way because there's also 
like the tenant um, who's on today, in her building, there's a tenants association that is kind of in cahoots with management a little bit. So it's not necessarily like in the interests of the people who are in the building. Um, it's kind of making these decisions kind of a hierarchical form that's not very democratic. Um, and thus this tenant kind of has had tension with them. So the tenants association that beds, bed works with are ones that are just like democratically formed, um, and meet regularly to discuss housing. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit about, and we'll hear more about this too with the current case that we're going to go to in Clinton Hill, but talk about what you've seen might seem obvious, but what you've seen in how like group power works, right? We think about this a lot at worker unions. How does, how do tenants uniting work and what kind of results are tenants seeing when they unite versus when they're trying to fight their landlord as an individual, which many are. Yeah, totally. Um, so I've, I've only, sorry, I said, give us some examples, but I mumbled that. Oh, you're so fine. Yeah. Um, the biggest one that we've seen is, uh, tenants lobbying against rent hikes. Um, that's usually like the biggest thing, at least now, like we have, um, a lot of bed members right now are starting their own TAs or already in TAs. Um, and that's how they become involved with bed. So we're constantly working with people's like different situations. Um, the biggest thing is rent hikes. Um, we've seen like units get stabilized that aren't stabilized. And then units that are stabilized get, um, money back from their landlords because their landlords have been upcharging them. Those are the kind of wins that we see in terms of like rent hikes. We've also seen, um, like one of our, one of our organizers is part of a TA, formed a TA in their building. And there was an issue with, um, package theft. So they collectively lobbied like within the tenants association and got these like lockers installed, um, in the basement for like all of the tenants to use, um, to like solve that problem. Um, stuff like that is kind of like examples of the wins that you can get in a tenants association. Um, we're also interested in, in like building tenants associations across buildings, um, that are owned by the same management company or same landlord. Um, because then that collective power just kind of builds and builds. And, uh, and just talk a little bit about the landlords and that aspect of it and that, you know, how many are small landlords? How many are big landlords? Do most of them own many buildings? Which are they, are they wealthy? (laughs) Um, well, it kind of depends on the landlord. Um, I think that there's like, I don't know. I think in, in Brooklyn specifically, a lot of the tenants associations that we've worked with, which are like bed members or, um, yeah, just people that we've worked with have been, um, like small landlords that kind of, um, have like a couple properties, but are maybe like a little bit more neglectful. There's also like large management companies that, um, like don't really care about what happens to their buildings. They're just like concerned with like growth. And those are usually the ones that are involved with, um, like the situation that the tenant who's on today, um, is experiencing where they're like trying to price old tenants out and kind of like renovate those units and neglect the other units. So that conditions get so bad that people move out and then they can just uh, put those units at market value instead of rent stabilizing them or something like that. Um, And then there's also like, there's like, I grew up in a place where the landlord lived in the building. So it kind of varies, which also like bed really likes to use a diversity of tactics when interacting with landlords. Um, 
And it's really important if you want to start your own TA to like really research your management company or landlord to figure out if they have multiple properties, if they have like one or two, are they rich? Do they live in the state? Some landlords in New York City don't even live here. Um, it could be anywhere of, in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And they're still like exploiting you for housing. <laughs> um yeah, so it kind of all depends and that like kind of influences beds tactics in terms of like collectivizing demands um and getting wins for tenants. Can you uh say how many uh active tenant associations uh bed has at this point and and this uh, uh, general assembly uh, y'all are going to be doing in the in the near future as you bring people together? Um I think I can't remember how many Dylan, do you know how many tenants associations we have right now that are um, active? <laughs> I'd say somewhere in the range of like three, but like there's also many that are like being worked on. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not super. Yeah. A, a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. right now I know from, I'm involved in the tenant organizing working group and we have, um, like, I know that bed members have like three very actively like, consistently meeting TAs. And then there's like three or four that are like being formed actively. And there's also, we had our general assembly, um, last Sunday and, um, we were able to like talk about kind of an interest that bed members have in organizing their own tenants associations in their own buildings. Um, so there's right. like a really big interest in, um, people doing that. Big but I think- and uh, sorry to cut you off. But, uh, we, no, we, we have our, we have our tenant on, I think. So um, big interest there, but yeah, so that's like a newer work of beds. Bed started out as eviction response and just kind of like, you know, telling people that they could start their own TAs and maybe like feeding them to existing um, TAs or tenants unions. And now they're, 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 you know, their breadth of, of work is expanding, which is great. Love to see it. Um, do we have you with us, Syria? Yes, I'm here. Yes, great. Welcome welcome to WBAI. Welcome to WBAI. We're so happy to have you here. We just caught up with some of the Brooklyn Eviction Defense folks, but uh, we want to hear your story from you. So um, just talk. Can you see me? We can't see you, but you can hear us. Can you? uh, We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you guys loud and clear. I don't know why my video isn't on. That's okay. It's good enough for radio. Yeah, so don't worry about it. First off, you know, we'd like to obviously give our condolences for the loss of your mother and dealing with this house housing difficulty on top of it is very difficult. Um can only imagine. But first, just tell us a little bit about the harassment and neglect your mother faced when she was living in the apartment and what issues and effects that had on her health. First of all, I want to say hello to everybody today. This is Saria McNeil. I'm representing my mom, Shirley McNeil, for 400 Clinton Avenue. My mom has been living there since 1966 with five children that she raised by herself. Um, I want to say um, her neglect for me started back in the 70s when she was bit by a dog in the building. The drug her, the beautiful one-sided arm to the next, it deemed her permanently disabled. Um, and this is what she did for a living. My mom was a professional, you know, housekeeper, made, had her own business, and as well as a, as a basketball player. So um, when the dog took away, when the, the rock came from under the stairs in 19, 
79, around 70, about right 72, I think it was. And um, it was a super dog at the time. It wasn't owned by the same people that it's owned by now. So I can say, I am figuring that that contributed to the first part of her disability, being her permanently disabled. Then um, in the later times of her years after, you know, living there and, um, since she had like 16 violations, she's had violations for years. I'm talking about 20 years, which is totally ridiculous. And so, in fact, the people from the um, code enforcement called me yesterday, today, again, for the complaint of the um, the harassment was is that they were trying to kick her out. They wanted to rejectify her and you know bring to, to the market value rate or to bring the property up beyond market value rate by. Um, going in and changing everything. So the first problem started when they put the bathroom in the bedroom over my old bedroom, which is a bedroom. So you have all your piping and everything over there. So um, it started, every time they would take a bath, they would run the tub over. So it started coming through my bedroom, through the electrical at the top of the ceiling. And it's such a big hole over there now that literally one more of those overflows and the tub is going to come through the roof. You know, the ceiling is going to come down over my head. And so that came down on the side of the walls, which damaged pictures. Wow. I had to literally have buckets out in the middle of the floor. So along with that, the violations were, we had 16 violations. They continued to get paid because my mom had Section 8 and HUD, like I do as well. So they were getting money, but they weren't fixing any of the violations, and they were just constantly screaming yeah. her along. Mm-hmm. The last draw was for me in 2015 when my mom got up there and I told her not to do it. And she decided she's going to change the bulb because the ceilings are high in these buildings. And she got up there to put the bulb in and she fell and broke her hip, which made her, she laid on the floor for days, first of all. And um, she had to have a complete hip replacement. And that really ringed her permanently disabled. And I feel that they contributed to the negligence of her death, which I went to her speaking on Saturday with all these lawyers like they did for George Floyd. That's a whole nother course of another color. So when she fell, she had to learn how to do everything, but that made her permanent disability. She started a garden on Carlton Avenue 30 years ago, a garden, a floral garden. And she was never able to plant her onions, her tomatoes, and the things that she loved. So after she got hurt, she continued to go and oversee the garden and, 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 and try to plant, but they would just plant it for her, you know, Harold Undergrove. Is one of the people was, but he's my mom was one of the founders. She started the garden on Carlton Avenue 30 years ago. This is the love of her life. She's a farmer like myself, and she's also an amazing horticulturalist. So that was her love. That was her passion. That gave her happiness, as well as contributing to the community, you know, and being able to have a greenhouse in in, in the city. So um, in her home, where she has beautiful flowers. She um, did a lot of the work, like holes in the walls, lead paint. The water is so hot. When my mom would go to take a bath or go wash dishes, you could literally scald yourself to death. And um, so they sent out an inspector two weeks ago. So since I've been dealing with the situations, I've called code enforcement 300 times, literally. literally. Wow. And and just uh, for for the sake of time, Syria, tell us a little bit about. Um, sorry, Syria, tell us a little bit uh, about if you don't mind talking about how um, at towards the end of her life, some issues with floorboards actually directly related oh, my mom to. Died. 
My, first of all, my mom did all, everything in the house herself. My mom has been here since 1966. The super would come up there and get all the things my mom was giving away to him, but he wasn't really qualified to fix these issues. So therefore, in my mom, my mom fell and died. My mom slipped because she was rugs down. When I'm talking linoleum tiles, things that they should have been doing, all the floorboards. So the tiles come up, everything comes up on the floor. So she, I feel it contributed to her death because she was very depressed with my nephew being dying from cancer, geoplasm cancer. So she's coming into the bedroom when she slips and falls. Yes, she had a heart attack, but it doesn't help the fact that they had the linoleum up off the floor where she would slip and um, the floorboards are not flat, you know. So I feel my mom, it contributed to my mom's because I feel when she went in the room, she had the heart attack, and she slipped. When she slipped, she fell in her head. So she had blood in the front of her face. When I saw her, my mom was so black, they wasn't going to be able to bring her back. So they told me I had to have a closed casket. I feel that, yes, I know she had a heart attack, but I feel that the negligence of that, you know, she slipped. She fell. And she was on the floor for two days when they found her. She died on, on a Wednesday. And, 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 they and, you had, and you had complained about the floorboards, correct? We we have put massive massive complaints in. Massive, okay, so like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you complain about the floorboards, and these are the same ones she she tripped on. Excuse me for interrupting you, Syria. Yes. I just uh, we we don't have a ton of time here, but I want to know quickly what uh, and Bed, you can chime in on this too. What you all are doing in response? Um, what the demands are? What I you're doing? We're demanding a lease, first of all, for my mom's place because she's been there since 1966. All of the violations and stuff like that, they're never here to. So HUD said that they have to come out and they have to fix it. So they send an inspector out for the room where the tub is coming through, as well as for the hot water. It's been two specific inspectors, supervisors, to say they're going to fix this. And Section 8 said that they don't care about the reason they were getting their money and they wasn't fixing it. So the reason the lease was not signed is because of the fact that they had not completed these things, you know, these violations. They were not adhered to. So that's the reason why Section 8 could not approve it for her to have the lease completed. And right. so it, it, um, because they got fined, only when they start, they haven't fixed anything yet. This supervisor told me, don't worry about nothing. They are going to take care of this. He promised me that. Now, that's mm. HUD and housing. This is, this is code enforcement, HUD and housing. So what they did was they fined him. So right. someone uh, called on my behalf again today. And so they called me yesterday and they called me today. And every time they called me, they say they're supposed to have it fixed by this particular date. They haven't done anything. Right. In, in Syria, so, we, we'll have to leave uh, soon. But can you uh, describe how you became uh, involved with uh, a bed and, and how other people can also I get involved with oh, yeah. uh, so right now I'm defense? currently working with Renee Kalman on her campaign for housing. I'm a part of NAFTA and HUD out of DC and I came in to meet um eviction defense fund is because I went down to one forty one Livingston and they were out there and I was oh, going to fight for my my mom's place. This was three days after she died and the landlord told me when was I gonna leave and when was I getting out and I told him never. <laughs> so when I went down there I saw these guys sitting outside and they were protesting they was just, you know telling about what they do. And so I could have gone with Black Lives Matter, but I chose them because they are there on the front scene. They're out, and they came straight away and supported me and said, what do you need us to do? And they was foot on the ground fighting with me from the beginning. 
Right, and just for clarity, that's beautiful, Syria. Just for clarity, 141 Livingston is Brooklyn Housing Court. Bed goes out there, they tables, face-to-face interaction. Now, we're going to have to leave it there with you all, but quickly before we go, Dylan, just how can people follow, get involved with Brooklyn Eviction Defense um, if they need, and what should tenants do who are not in Brooklyn? Uh, let's see. So if you want to uh, get involved with Brooklyn Eviction Defense, like, um, so our hotline number uh, that you call if you're a tenant in need is uh, 917-982-2265. Um, you can also go to our website, which is brooklynevictiondefense.org, uh, or you can find us on social medias where it's just our name. Um, so, uh, uh, and then if you're not in Brooklyn, I mean, there's... Um, uh, there's a lot of organizations that we work with, like around the city that do similar work that are small, either um, like as tenant associations or mutual aids or whatever. I think that the best place to start is like you can still contact us and we can kind of refer you to like a um, some, somewhere that we've worked with before that we can form connections with. Um, so, I mean, I think it's always best to work with like these small organizations rather than like these massive like nonprofits or something like that, because they're usually able to get like more uh, agency and kind of like what decisions you're making regarding your situation right so. as Syria can attest a text too so please just reach out to Brooklyn Eviction Defense um, if you're dealing with any of these issues we have got a lot of tenants out there right now um, who who could uh, support each other so thank you so much Syria McNeil and Dylan Henderson of Brooklyn Eviction Defense for joining us we are quickly going to go to a music break and then we'll be right back with you here a thousand miles from my home Walking a road other men have gone down I'm seeing your world of people and things Here paupers and peasants and princes and kings Got three I wrote you a song About a funny old world that's a coming along Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn It looks like it's a dying and it's hardly been born But I know that you know All the things that I'm a-saying And a many times more I'm a-singing you yeah, this song But I can't sing enough Cause there's not Many men have done the things that you've done Cisco and Sunny and Lead Belly too. And to all the good people that traveled with you.